0: Be in the house of the Lord this evening, glad you're here, you can be seated, God bless you, thank you to the praise team for leading us in worship tonight, thank you for being here this evening, and we're going to see what the Lord has in store for us, I am going to continue tonight in a series, and I, I think we will conclude this series tonight that we have been um, on for quite some time. Tonight, particularly, we're going to be talking about holiness of reputation. Matthew chapter 5, verse number 16, and we're going to uh, take a look at this one verse we have read already during this series, and tonight I. I'm going to go back there again because so much of this is tied together, and I hope by the time I'm done tonight that many of you walk out of here with new concepts, new ideas, and new thoughts about what we do and why we do some of the things that we do. This has been my goal over the last little while of teaching, as I have talked about purity of heart, purity of actions, purity of motive. And tonight, talking about purity of reputation or holiness of reputation. Matthew chapter 5, verse number 16, but now most of you could quote it with me. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Tonight, uh, as we move into this subject matter, I want you to open your mind, and it's hard for me to teach with closed minds, so I want you to open your mind tonight, and that is, uh, the only way you can do that is to try to engage, I'm going try to try to, um, to do the best job I can trying to engage you and keep you focused, and so tonight you're going to have to uh, use some mind discipline and pull yourself together and keep your thoughts moving uh, along with what we are going to talk about tonight. Reputation is the subject matter. And reputation is defined as what others see or know about another person's character. Reputation. It is what other people think about you. It's the way other people see you. Now there is there is a a piece of unbiblical advice that is often used. Social media has promoted many unbiblical uh, but great-sounding pieces of humanism over the last many years. And uh, it sounds good. You read it, and it makes sense, and it feels good, but it may be unbiblical, meaning that there are going to be consequences that are attached to that thought or that idea while while in, in our society it may seem like it fits and seem like it works but according to the Bible it doesn't work and by studying the Word of God we can begin to see how and why some of these pieces of information that are unbiblical become uh, become common uh, topics even among our churches. One of those such ideas and subject matters is that who cares what anybody thinks about us? You see it all the time, right? I don't really care what anybody thinks about me. It doesn't really matter if people like me or don't like me. Right? You hear that all the time? So what, what they say about me? Let them talk. These common things you hear often. Those of you who are on social media, you see this and hear this. By the time we're done tonight, you're going to see that that is an unbiblical concept. Completely unbiblical. Because as a child of God, it is a matter of holiness. See, we, we want to we put holiness as a set of guidelines, do's and don'ts, particularly connected to the way we dress and look. But we're missing some of the deeper parts and deeper elements. Reputation is one of them. If our actions continually produce a specific response from people and we get a reputation for being haughty, Rebellious, unfriendly, rude, hateful, all of those, and I could go on and on and on with those, with, with those application points tonight. But the point is, is if our reputation is not in alignment with the fruits of the Spirit, then we are not becoming what God is wanting us to become. Now, because I have recently just taught on the fruits of the spirit in this series, I am not going to go back there tonight and teach on the fruits of the spirit uh, once again tonight and go through and name them. But all of the many fruit of the spirit: love, joy, peace, righteousness, long suffering, goodness, mercy, temperance, patience. So all of those, all of those ideas, all of that, all of those. Um, fruit of the Spirit, all the things that we're supposed to be developing. If if our reputation does not carry with it the fruit of the Spirit, then our Christian walk is lacking. The Bible says this, by their, I don't care attitude, people know them, by their fruit, You shall know them. That's how we know one another. That's how we know, that's how other people know us. They know us by the fruit that we bear. So to say, I don't really care, I don't really care what people say about the fruit that I'm bearing. We are known by our fruit. That's all they know. Let me break it down to you and make it real clear. Do you want to know what your friends and family that do not attend this church, do you want to know what they think about this church? Their thoughts and their ideals about this church is whatever they see and know about you. That's all they know. If they're not here, if they're not watching online, if they're not connecting, everything they know about church, they know by watching you. Are you sincere? Are you faithful? Are you consecrated? Do you do you live and preach the same thing? And so, what they know about the church, what they if they don't know God, if they're if they don't have a relationship in the word of God and don't know God, What they know about God is defined by what they know about you. Because you are representing God to the world. The Bible said we are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. So therefore everywhere we go, we are changing things that are around us. We are changing darkness to light. Here's a little piece of strange information for you. We are light. Light affects darkness. Darkness doesn't affect light. So as a child of God, when we say, well, it's because of all those people that I'm around. Now listen, Well, that's a whole other subject for another time. But if you are shining light, Their darkness is having no effect on you. You are the light of the world. So our reputation matters. What people say, what people think matters. Now character, reputation is defined by what others see and know about our character. This is what we're talking about tonight. So our character, how we deal in business, whether we pay our bills or don't pay our bills, whether we snub the neighbor, whether we're always at odds with people, all of these things is what people know about us. That is our character of who we are. Character is not something that just, you don't wake up one day and you're not born with a specific character. Your character is formed. Your character is shaped in you. You are shaping your character. Because in this flesh, there's no good thing. Meaning every element for every sinful nature is in this human flesh. In yours and in mine. The ability to to fall into any kind of sin imaginable. To be a murderer. To be anything. that you can imagine it is within us, to hate, to lust, any sinful act is that nature is there. We're born with a nature but not the character. I'm going to tell you some good stuff tonight if you'll stay with me. You're born with a nature but not a character. The nature is what you were birthed with. You're birthed with the ability to do anything that you want to do and become anything you want to do. What you become is your character. The decisions you make form your character and shape your character into your life. Now here's some interesting information for you. Much about human personality is set by the time a child is five to seven years old. Personality is set between five and seven years old. That's pretty scary, right? So personality is set between five and seven. Our character is also beginning to form as our personality is shaping. So here's where that we have to be very, very careful. I'm not going to turn this into a parenting class because I have youth and everybody else here tonight. But let me let me just say, here's where as parents we have to be very, very careful with what we find cute and what we find acceptable and what we allow to go on and just write it off because, oh, they're young. Their character is being formed and their personality is being formed. So while you don't want to break a young child's personality, you want to form and shape their character. So there must be a balance of shaping character as personality is forming. This is a very difficult task. So character is also formed, it begins forming at a very young age. I touched on this a couple of Sunday nights ago when I talked about the requirements how that children if you were here on that sunday night when we did the forum i talked about how parents there is something different required of parents at every different stage of parenting and so it is all the process of development of children but also as parents there's a process of development in us so we have to constantly be be changing and so we go from uh, from parenting a a newborn which requires of us getting up at night and feeding and, and changing diapers and they can't do anything for themselves and it's, we're tired and we're like, I cannot wait until they get out of this diaper stage. And then we start complaining because it's like now they're in the terrible two stage. Now they're into everything. I can't wait till they get out of everything. So at every stage there's something different and our parenting shifts at every every stage. So the way you parent a a 10 or 11 or 12 year old is much different from what is demanded of us to parent a 15, 16 or 17 year old and yet there is a whole different shift. My wife and I are recently learning the whole shift as they move into young adults and into maturing adults and then into marriage, and we never cease to be parents, but everything about what we do is shifting and changing, and so we have to be open to change those things. Through that process, character is being shaped. This is why parents and grandparents, friends, everybody that influences, listen to me CLC. You are influencing the character of every one of these young people and young adults in this building. What they see in you becomes the normal and what is acceptable. And so everything we're doing, we're shaping and forming character. Sunday school teachers starts in the little in the nursery class all the way through, into young adults, all the way through, we're shaping character. This Wednesday night Bible study, you know what we're doing? We're doing we're shaping character. This is what we're talking about holiness of reputation. So we're shaping character. So the, psychi- the psychologists say that character also is formed, begins forming at a very young age. And as a child moves toward adulthood, that character begins to, to become more and more firm. By the time they say that an adult reaches 30, character is usually established. They say it's very difficult. So by the time they reach 30, there is often, they can battle with addictions, they can, they can do that uh, uh, before, before that age, but by this, by this age, it becomes established patterns that they may deal with throughout the rest of their life by the time they're 30. However, this is what I've got to tell you because this isn't just a little sociology class tonight. This is a Bible class tonight. However, the Bible tells us that regardless what character that we have developed because of how we were raised or because of what we choices we have made or decisions we have made or the friends we've been around or the school we went to or any of the things that have, that have shaped our character, the Bible teaches us that that character does not have to be etched in stone when we're 30. Here's what the Bible says. Being born again, old things are passed away, and behold, all things, everything about you can become new. I baptized a lady at Delphi Avenue that was 81 years old. She made a decision to turn her life around at 81 years old, Serve the Lord, I've was able to preach her funeral and bury her. Sister Trudy Beckner's mother made a decision at 81, proving that regardless what decisions you've made through your life, and no matter how much people say your character is set, your character is not established at an age point. Being born again, a person's character can be reformed and reshaped. This happens by the regeneration of the Holy Ghost. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a... What? But he still has his old character. He still has his old reputation. He is a new creature. This is why... That people come to God after living a life of sin. And they repent and are baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost. And they have a reputation. And they come to the church and they're, they, they turn their life around and come to God. And all of a sudden people start saying, what in the world happened to them? They're not the same person anymore. No, they're not. The Bible says they're not. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So by feeding one's mind with pure and wholesome thoughts, one can develop a strong Christian character, regardless what the world says. Doesn't matter tonight, if you you walked in this room and you're thinking, my goodness, he's about to call me out tonight because my reputation precedes me. Or my goodness, I have so many skeletons in my closet. I hope nobody ever finds out all the things that I do wrong and all the sin is in my life. You know what? I'm not concerned about that. You can put it in the hands of God. You can do it even tonight. You don't have to wait to Sunday to do that. You can do that in your own home. You can do that at any moment. That you decide, I'm going to turn my life around. I am not going to feed this reputation that I am building. I want to have a pure reputation, a pure heart. A pure character. So true Christians build a positive reputation. Ephesians chapter 5. Verses 1 through 13. This is a lengthy reading. Be therefore followers of God as dear children. And walk in love as Christ also has loved us and hath given himself for us. And offered a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savor. But fornication and all uncleanliness and covetousness, let it not be named once among you as becometh saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know, that no whoremonger nor unclean person nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of its disobedience. But not ye theref- be not ye therefore partakers with them, for ye were sometimes darkness, but now are you light in the world. Walk as children of light. That ought to be your reputation. I'm a child of light. Oh, you better not go there. It's terrible. I'm a child of light. Proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And have no fellowship, verse 11, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. But rather, reprove them or change them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by light, and whatsoever doth make manifest is light. So here's what the Bible is saying We are children of light, we're the light of the world. It's all through the Scripture. It's not just one. There's no private interpretation here that I can pull something out and make the Bible say something that's not really there. It's all through. There's a thread all through Scripture. We are children of light. The Bible says in another text, what fellowship doth light with darkness? There is no fellowship, meaning there is no handshaking, because when light walks in, darkness disappears. So when our character precedes us, when we walk in the character of a child of God, Everywhere that we go, there should be a character about us that everybody knows when we walk in. There's no reason to start filthy jokes there. There's no reason to start expecting that he's going to join in or she's going to join in with this action or that activity. No reason to think that we're going to get them pulled in on this this conversation or get them pulled into this, this sinful act. Because everybody knows when you walk in, you're light. Your darkness just got reproved. For those of you that's been living for God a while, let me put it to the test with this, with this tonight. Have you ever walked into a room, walked into a place, walked into a setting and people are talking and laughing and the moment you walk in it's like, ha <sighs> As a pastor it happens all the time. I often think, hmm, wonder what you were talking about. I smile, jest, walk on. Carry on. Everywhere you are, whether you're at work, school, with friends, what you are in church, what you are in the presence of God, is what that light, that's what we're supposed to carry to the world. You want to be used of God? Carry the light. The best thing you can do, the most successful the most successful thing you can do, your first ministry is to be a minister of light. Carry the light to darkness. Carry light to school. Well, I'm not very good talking to people. Carry the light. What do you mean, pastor? I mean everywhere I walk. I'm not getting pulled into their into all of their 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 shenanigans. I'm not getting pulled in. I am walking as a child of light. I walk into my school, I walk into my work. It doesn't matter what conversations going on. I don't get pulled in because their darkness does not affect my light. My light will reprove their darkness. I can be here. I don't have to quit my job. I don't have to go to another school. But neither do I have to be part of that because I am a light. In a dark world. And people then get to know that about us. The the fear here is when people are like, oh, hey, come on in. Come on in and join us. If your reputation has not been established that I don't talk like that, I don't act like that, I don't partake of these things, your reputation should precede you. Because here's the deal about light when light shines it lightens everything that is around it so we're children of light and we do not walk in darkness so the bible the bible says that we are to be sanctified holy unto god i'm going to use a little bit of an illustration tonight regarding the holy anointed anointing oil. There's questions at times about why do we anoint people with oil? And when I'm done tonight, you're going to understand this and you're going to understand the whole idea of anointing a little better here in the next few moments. Holy anointing oil is used all through Scripture. The Bible talks about the, holy, the unction of the Holy Ghost and then it talks about the holy anointing. And so holy anointing oil was used all through Scripture. First in the formulation and the creation of this specific, yeah, I can smell this and tell this is just regular old oil because if my wife's gotten a hold of it, it isn't regular old old oil because she spices it up and I can anoint somebody and go to dinner and wash my hands and go home and I still smell the smell of that oil on my hands. Now, this is just olive oil. Symbolism. In symbolism, my wife takes and she has done research and she mixes spices that are as close to the original spices that would have been used in the holy anointing oil. Now, they're probably not as pure, probably, you know, all of those things, it's, you know, it's it's whatever she can buy at, at the local store. But she takes and mixes and creates a whole, uh, the anointing oil. And we often use that here. I think this, this is not that. This is just olive oil. The holy anointing oil is, is a biblical thing. We anoint the sick with oil. That's why we have an oil bottle here, because the Bible says to anoint them with oil. James chapter 5. And it says to anoint them with oil. And... Um, the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord would raise them up. So oil was used. The first mention of oil being used is in Genesis chapter 28. When, um, Jacob rose up and anointed the, the stone that he had used that night. He had laid his head upon it and there God met with him and God wrestled with him and all of those things. God, God talked to him and, um, So when he's done, he he takes that stone and he, he takes the holy anointing oil and he pours it out upon the stone. The ingredients of the holy anointing oil when poured out upon natural minerals that would be in the stone would change the visual look of the stone. And that stone would not look like any other stone That would be laid around. That holy anointing oil changes the whole appearance. It can dry, it can go away, it can rain on it. Days and weeks and months and years can pass, and that stone still bears the mark of the holy anointing oil. So when one would travel and come back, they would be able to very quickly say, Right there, see that marked stone? See that anointed stone? So the use of oil marked locations. It marked stones that were altars or monuments or memorials. It marked them. Draw some parallels with me now. It marks the stone. Think about, think about a child of God. And once it is marked, it changes its very appearance. We're in a hole in a series, right? It changes its appearance. Because the work that happens of the stone, on that stone, is not just surface. It's not just a surface application. Like a stain, when the oil hits the stone, it soaks in. And the reason the stone never looks the same again is because the inside of that stone, the inward part of that stone is changed. It's marked forever. Anybody that would want to build a house would not want that stone to be part of their house because that stone is not going to look like all the rest of the stones. It would be a unique stone. It's going to be different. So it's not going to be used for anything other than that stone is set apart. It is holy. It is consecrated unto the Lord. So in the formulation Of the holy anointing oil. Understand that. The holy anointing oil. Did not happen normally. Or naturally. That's the word I was looking for. It did not happen naturally. Meaning in order to get the spices. And in order to extract. The purest of olive oils. There was quite. There was quite a lot of work that had to go into that process. The olive had to be picked and it had to be the choice of olives from the best of trees. Then it had to go through a pressing and then it had to go through a straining process and it was the best of the best that finally came out. And so the the very base of the holy anointing oil began with the very precious and most choice of olive oils. And then to that olive oil is added four particular spices that were added to it, and those spices that were added—calamus, cassius, myrrh, cinnamon—all of these different spices that go in—they didn't just—they weren't able to just go down and decide, oh yeah, this is this all appears naturally. It had to be stripped. They had to go to a tree and they had to rip from the tree. Our preachers here, if you don't preach this somewhere down the road, you're, you're missing out. A tree had to be involved in everything they did. Y'all need some help with that? A tree, there's a cross, has to be involved. I'll go along. Sorry. A tree had to be involved. And they pulled from the bark of that tree. And some of the spices came from the bark of a tree. Some of the spices came from the root of the tree. And it had to be dug up and they had to pull from the roots of the tree. Then the bark or the root, whatever it was that was being used for that specific spice, had to go through the process of grinding and pressing and twisting and pressure over time that from it dripped or ground from from it the very precious of the spices that eventually was used to formulate the holy anointing oil. Everything in your character, everything, That God does in you. He is shaping and forming character in you. If you quit on God because you're under pressure. well, I got saved, sanctified and set free and I go to church on Sunday. I thought that delivered me from pressure. No, it means you're going to be put under pressure. You know why? Because He's wanting to anoint you. And until he goes through, you go through some pressing and some squeezing and, some, and it doesn't happen overnight. It is a long process until finally the very best is brought out of us. Then God can begin to use us. So after all of those things are made, you see the holy anointed oil did not exist naturally. It had to go through a process. Everybody say the process. I've been talking a lot about that over the last several months. It's the process that you have to go through. That's why we go through trials. That's why we go through tests. God is forming and shaping some things in us. And so then from those very precious spices, from the rough and rugged elements, It is then all mixed together to become the holy anointing oil. Understand that the seasonings and the spices of this church, what makes this church what this church is, is not because we were all just born on a church pew and all just lived a holy sanctified life and nobody ever had any issues and nobody ever had any problems. The unique anointing that is upon this church is because I could walk around tonight and touch some of you on the shoulder because I know some of the pressures that you have gone through, but you added a certain element to the anointing of this congregation, and somebody else went through something a little different, and they added a certain anointing to this congregation. And somebody else went through something different and you're adding to the anointing until we are becoming what God wants us to become. And that's why this church ought to make a mark in this city that can never, it doesn't matter, people drive by and they sense it, they feel it, there's something about that. There is a permanent mark that has been made in this by this church Because you endured and you suffered long but you stayed true to God and you said, I will not deny God. I will not walk away from God. I will be faithful to God. And through that storm and through what you have gone through, God has formulated something that is able to to bless everybody and everything that is around us. I thought you had to be this to be used. I thought you had to be wise. I thought you had to have a certain education and a certain level. Let me tell you what the Apostle Paul said in First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, for you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise after the flesh and not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to to confound the things which are mighty and base things of the world. The things which are, you get that, base things of the world. Tree bark and roots and the simple. The things that seem like I'm, I, I, there's nothing good in me and God saying I, I can use them. And base things of the world and the things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, the things which are not to bring to naught the things which are. Why? Verse 29 Pulls that all together. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 29. That no flesh should glory in his presence. That no flesh should glory in his presence. You know why? God wants to receive all the glory. When we say, "I, I don't have the ability, but yet God uses you. When you're like, I'm not sure if I can teach the Bible study, but you teach it anyway. When you say, I, I don't know, it's not my nature to lay hands on somebody, but you do it anyway. Because when God does the work in their life, you don't get the glory anyway. It's God that gets the glory. We are His hands. We are His feet. So the spices came from roots and bark of particular trees. We, it couldn't just be any random tree. There were certain trees that produced certain things. The Bible teaches us that we are a peculiar people, but yet we are a chosen generation and a royal priesthood, handpicked by God to form what He is wanting, wanting us to be. We are a building fitly framed together. Mind the Word of God tonight. So the anointing that is upon this church is because you are here. You think, I don't have a part to play in this church. You do. God has fitly framed this church together. God has fit this building together. God has mixed the ointment for this region. God has said, this is the anointing that needs to be placed here in north central Indiana. And you are part of it. The anointing oil was also used to dedicate Solomon's temple and then all things, all things in the tabernacle were anointed. All, all the fixtures and all of the, every piece of furniture in the tabernacle. Every utensil, every picture. So understand, before anything could be used in the tabernacle, first it had to go through the process of cleansing. So it had to be meticulously cleaned. First it was created a certain way. Then it goes through a specific cleaning process. And once that it is cleaned, then the anointing is placed upon it. The anointing oil, the holy anointing oil is then placed upon it to signify that now it is ready to be used. Do you see salvation in that? Do you see the salvation plan in that? First, we have to be cleaned. Once we are washed, Then we are anointed. And then we can be used to minister in the tabernacle. But it is the process, first of cleansing, then of the anointing that is poured poured upon it. The anointing marked everything that had been clean, so that it became visible to anybody and everybody that was there. And if there were any questions because they could not visibly see the anointing that was placed upon it. All they had to do was get close to it. It's been anointed because I smell the anointing upon it. The priest, before he could enter into the tabernacle of the congregation to minister. The priest walked to the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. He could not enter. Although he had been washed, he was cleansed, he had put on a priestly garment. The garment that he put on was made of specific fibers and specific materials and specific colors. And here this washed and clean priest has this garment that had been handmade specifically for the work of the priest. It is then placed upon him. He now gets to the door of the congregation, but he still can't enter. He looked like a priest. He dressed like a priest. He could talk like a priest. He could do everything he wanted to like a priest, but he could not enter the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. He had to stop. And then they came with seven quarts, not a little little vial, not a little bottle, seven quarts, Of holy anointing oil. And they poured seven quarts of holy anointing oil upon his head. And that oil would run down through him, through his head and his beard and his garments and would go all the way down. The Bible gives very detailed instructions about about the anointing of Aaron and how that it went all the way down and the oil even dripped onto the floor where he was standing, meaning that he was completely saturated head to toe with the anointing oil. This was literal. This isn't a fictitious story. This isn't a parable. This is real. This is what the priest had to do. This is the process he had to go through before he could minister. Now he's standing in the doorway of the tabernacle of the congregation. They pour the holy anointing upon him. The oil runs down. In a few minutes, the oil will evaporate without a doubt. The seamstress that put together that beautiful garment that that priest was wearing when they began to pour holy anointing oil upon it and it began to ruin the appearance and the the look of it and it looked as if, my goodness, why are they ruining the priestly garment that so much detail and so much time and so much fine linen has gone into and they pour this oil out. I'm sure the seamstress would stand on the sideline and think, Are they ruining the garment? But the priest couldn't enter. No matter how much he looked like a priest, dressed like a priest, walked like a priest, he could not be used of God unless he had been anointed by God by the holy anointing oil. Anybody that tells you that you don't need the baptism of the Holy Ghost is missing the whole point. Absolutely, you can dress like an apostolic, talk like an apostolic, walk like an apostolic, act like an apostolic, but I'm going to tell you, you need the Holy Anointing. You need the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is the anointing. It is the unction from heaven that is poured out upon us. And when it is poured out, we begin to speak with other tongues as a symbol, as a sign that we have been filled from the bottom of our feet all the way up until something begins to come out of our mouth. You must have the Holy Ghost. You must be anointed. Then people would say, man, don't they look silly? I mean, I thought they were sophisticated. What are they up there speaking in some kind of foreign language? Isn't that a waste? Isn't that garment? Look at all of that, everything that looks great about them. Doesn't that garment look like it is ruined now that the oil is poured upon it? But in just a little while, the oil would evaporate. And there would be no visible sign because that the composition of that holy anointing oil would not ruin the garment it would evaporate out of it and that garment would look exactly like a fresh garment and there's only one way that people could tell that priest had been anointed. Because everywhere that that priest walked, he didn't have to go out and say, hey, I've been anointed. Just so you know, I have been anointed. Because when people come have to tell you you how anointed they are, if they have to have a title in front or behind their name to claim their anointing, If they have to be apostle, bishop, pastor to claim an anointing, chances are they're trying to announce something or pronounce something that they don't really carry. Because the anointing that you carry will be evident to everybody that is around you. Uh Because your anointing will precede you. Everywhere that you go. So the holy anointing oil evaporates out of the garment. But the aroma of the holy anointing oil is locked within the weaves of the garment. And everywhere they go, they never have to say, I've been anointed. All they have to do is just get within close proximity. And everybody around says, whoo. That priest has been anointed. That man has been anointed because the fragrance of the holy anointing oil was locked within the weaves of that garment and everywhere he went It was obvious that he had been anointed because of the aroma that was about him, the presence about him. It was the reputation that the priest carried with him that said, I have been anointed. He didn't have to tell anybody. It was a reputation. Before he ever got there, the reputation showed up. They could smell it. They could sense it. They would know it. And every bit of ministry that he did the glory, the aroma of the holy anointing oil was with him and was upon him. When we pray, when we pray for somebody, people come forward for prayer and we get the oil because James chapter 5 says, "If if there be any sick among you, let them call for the elders of the church. Let them anoint them with oil. The prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise them up. Why oil? Why not use toothpaste or something? God chose oil. And it's it's significant. Because the anointing, the anointing, when the utensil and the tabernacle was anointed, the earthly things, any dust in the tabernacle that got on it did not defile the utensil, did not de- defile the item. In other words, the unholy did not have the ability to defile what God has declared holy. But the holy had the ability to consecrate that which was unholy. Don't ever get nervous because we have folks coming in here from every background and every reputation and no telling what they've done and what kind of rap sheet they have and what kind of history they have. Come on in here. Come on in here. We've got room for you. We've got a seat for you because the unholy will not defile the holy. The holy will sanctify the unholy. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Ye are the salt. Unless the salt loses its savor, we are the salt. So don't worry about the reputation of our church. The anointing will be the reputation that this assembly needs. If you're anointed of God, it will be obvious that you're anointed of God because everywhere you go, everyone you talk to, there's going to be the sweet-smelling savor of the fruit of the Spirit that is going to be about you. Everywhere you go, the holy anointing is going to be obvious upon you. Everywhere you go, your speech, your actions, your vocabulary, the jokes you tell. Everything about you is going to be obvious. It's going to to be clear because the anointing is upon you. And when the anointing is upon you, the anointing stays. Because the deal with it is once that you have tasted this heavenly gift, once you've received the Holy Ghost and you decide, you know what, I'm going to backslide and I'm going to go back and I'm going to live my old life and I'm going to do whatever I want to do. Come tell me how that's going to work out for you because no matter where you go they're going to say something something not right with them. We're at a party but I can tell there's just something. Oh, they may dance and drink and do anything else that they can possibly imagine but there's something because there is a holy anointing that has marked your life. You belong to God. You don't belong in a dance hall. You don't belong. You don't belong on a bar stool. You belong to God. You have been set free. You have been been purchased with a price. God has placed an anointing upon you and you are separate. And our reputation, our reputation must represent the holy anointing that God has placed upon us. I'm about to close. People notice They notice the places we go, they notice the music we listen to, they notice the books we read, the movies we watch, the forms of entertainment we participate in, the way we act, the conversations we have, the way we dress, the way we carry ourselves, the way we do business, the people we associate with, people notice that is our reputation And some, some choose to walk in darkness. Because the Bible said men love darkness rather than light because light will reprove their darkness. But for any child of God that is sincere and says, I want to be what God wants me to be. We're going to be striving. We're going to be reaching. We're going to be working. And every time that the church doors are open, we're going to want to be there. Every time there's an altar call, we're going to want to be there and say, God, I'm just hitting one more time so you can just pour fresh oil upon me. I want you to pour some fresh oil upon me. I want to make sure that the cares of this world and all the things that are around me, I never want the fragrance of your glory to wear off about me. But that priest, he couldn't just be anointed one time, but every time, that he started to re-enter to do the work of ministry, he had to be re-anointed over afresh and anew. That's why our daily prayer life, our daily consecration, our daily seeking God for fresh oil, fresh anointing is so important for us. That reputation that you're worried about, you don't have to worry about the reputation. What you've got to worry about is just worry about getting under the anointing of God saying, God, purify me, cleanse me, make what make me what you want me to be. So my question to you tonight is what kind of reputation are you establishing? Is it a life that God would approve of? Is it a life that God would say, that's a clean life and I can anoint? Because the issue is if our lives are not clean, God will not pour out upon it his anointing. First there has to be the cleansing and then comes the anointing. So he's looking for a life that comes and says, I do care what men say about me. I want my life to shine, my light to shine before men so they can see your works, God. Not not just the works of this flesh, but they see you and they see you in me. That I can be what you want me to be. I don't normally do this on Wednesday night, but tonight I'm going to give an altar call. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Maybe there is somebody in this room tonight that wants to make your way to the front of this room because God is speaking to you and speaking to your heart. God's calling you tonight and he's given you an opportunity to come tonight and say, I'm yielding myself afresh and anew. I'm coming tonight to turn my life to you all over again. I'm not going to make a big fanfare about it tonight, but if that's you, if God has spoken to you through this message tonight, if this word that I have delivered Has spoken to you and you say, I need that fresh oil in my life. I'm opening these altars right now, and I invite you to step from where you are and walk to the front of this room and declare, God, I need it poured out upon me afresh and anew on this Wednesday night. God, I need you to make me new again. Pour this oil out upon me. Help my help me be what you want me to be. Lord make me over. There's room and we have time. Don't miss this opportunity. and cry out to the Lord. high, heart surrendering to the Lord, Lord singing aloud to him, Lord, make me, Lord, me over, oh that's beautiful, lift Lord, your voice as one choir in unison, Lord, make yet one more time.